Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. October 16, 2023, coming up on Rollerbot Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. We are here in Fredericksburg, Virginia, at the Zion Church, focused on the elections here in Virginia. Today is the last day to register to vote, uh, and the black vote is going to be critically important if Democrats retake uh, the House. And, of course, that would mean the election of the first black speaker in Virginia's history. So we'll talk to uh, candidates and officials here about what is being done uh, to really rally African-American voters in this state. We'll also talk about Louisiana, where there was a porous turnout of black voters there. Louisiana Democratic Party did a horrible job when it comes to their candidates. We'll break down exactly what happens in the second most populous state in the country of African Americans, what is happening, what is needed to turn voters there out. So we'll talk about all of that right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Let's go. Zion Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia, the third of our uh, five town halls we're doing across Virginia, focusing on uh, the election taking place next month. Today is the last day to register uh, to vote uh, in Virginia. Uh, and of course, you can, they got the provisional ballot stuff, but we, we don't focus on that because we already know how that drama goes when it comes to uh, counting provisional ballots. So we want all votes to actually count. Uh, and we were making the point about how critically important, uh, obviously, voting is. But when it speaks to our issues, when we talk about Louisiana in the next hour, we'll lay exactly out, lay down exactly what happened there. Awful, awful turnout there where many people were expecting there to be a runoff. Uh, but in fact, uh, MAGA Attorney General Jeff Landry uh, actually won it outright. Uh, and some of the things that he tried to do as Attorney General, he certainly will do uh, as governor. And none of those bode well uh, for African Americans. 
Americans. But uh, here in Virginia, you've got Glenn Youngkin, Republican governor, but you have Democrats in control of the Senate. Uh, and if they're able to flip several House seats, then they will be electing their first black Speaker of the House uh, in uh, Democratic minority leader uh, Don Scott. That is a huge, huge deal uh, leading into the 2024 uh, presidential election. And so we want to get things started right now. Uh, with uh, a variety of folks here, but first off is uh, Charnella Herring. Uh, she uh, joins us right now. Charnella, how you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Good to see you. Good to see you. You are chair of the Virginia uh, House Democratic Caucus, and so uh, let's let's walk through this because um, a recurring theme we're going to be talking about tonight is again the power of our vote, and I think for a lot of people. Uh, they, they say, well, you know what, African-Americans, we, I hear this all the time, we only make up 20% of the state, but that is a huge voting block if uh, used properly. That, that's absolutely correct. And uh, what MAGA Republicans are counting on is that minority groups won't turn out to vote. I've, had, I've heard them say, you know what, this is an off-off-year election, so, you know, in likelihood, we're going to win. This is our opportunity to make our voices heard. We have better voting laws thanks to Virginia Democrats, but that's a, they are at stake. They are at stake, and we've got to make sure that we're turning out our voters. And that means thank you for being here um, to spread the word, but it also means that everyone's listening to this program. Please tell your loved ones, especially if they're in Virginia, they need to go vote. Remind them that they have to vote. Well, reminding folks to vote and pushing that is one thing, but what are they voting for? They're voting for progress, and they're voting to continue to turn the clock forward and not backward. We have seen the Virginia legislature for the past two years under the Yunkin governorship attempts to roll back the progress we made with abortion rights. Virginia is now the only state in the South where the Roe uh, v. Wade uh, construct is in place to make sure that there are no um, non-evidence-based restrictions. We have moved the, the, the map when it comes to maternal health to making sure that we're looking at black maternal health because that is at stake in this election. We have moved, uh, what's also at stake is our public schools. We've seen attempts to cut our funding um, as well as to provide tax breaks for corporations. So we've got a lot of work to do, but turning out to vote means, for me and for many people, it's about our, right, our voice and our right to vote. Because all the other things that we talk about, it's not going to make a difference if we don't show up and vote and make sure that we have individuals who yep. represent our values at the table, in the seats, and that state legislature. Uh, I was, re re reproductive rights is a huge issue. We saw it take place in 2020 election. Uh, but when we look at uh, the data, we look at what we're hearing from uh, black voters all across this country, uh, they want to hear more than that. They want to hear about economic opportunities. They want to hear about opportunities for black-owned businesses. Uh, they want to actually hear about education, funding for HBCUs. Uh, and so make the case that if, that if Democrats control the House, that those things will actually happen. I can make the case that we are the only party that has started the course to make things happen. And it, they can happen, but it, it takes people to turn out and vote. And I would, you know, really, I would say that, look at our records, look at our records when it comes to funding our HBCUs, look at our records of what party actually fought to make sure the HBCUs are, are properly funded. And we've still got more work to do, absolutely. 
but look at our records when it comes to our ed to education, our children's education, where most of our children, black children, go to public schools, most do. And we want to make sure that we have the best talent and the best teachers in those schools and making sure that they have safe schools to go to. So just take a look at their re uh, the record for Democrats versus MAGA Republicans, and you'll see we, were, we are more likely to deliver on the issues that are important to our community. Uh, what are we seeing right now in terms of uh, African Americans in state in taking advantage of state contracts and businesses? Uh, how does Virginia look uh, in that area? We got, we've got a lot of work to do. I have talked to uh, individual contractors where they will go to Maryland um, and said that there are better opportunities there. We've got work to do, and I will tell you, though, the clock has sort of stalled on that. We made progress. We had a study done. We were starting to make progress under the last governor, Governor Northam, and then we stalled. So that's why, again, this election is important, because if uh, the governor gets both chambers, the House and the Senate, we, we were not going to see what, any progress. And in fact, his appointed um, officer went to a university here in Virginia and said and pronounced uh, diversity, equity, inclusion is dead. So that's what we're talking about. You can either trust them or trust us with our record. And, and when you say the study, you're talking about uh, the disparity study. That's correct, yes. Gotcha. Uh, and um, again, because one of the things that, especially young voters, because that's, that's a huge issue there. If you look at the numbers there, African Americans who are 65 plus, 55 plus, uh, significantly identified as Democratic voters. When you go below 55, that never begins to drop off. It is a huge drop off between 18 and 49. Uh, and so what are you saying to those younger voters? And when you look at those exact same numbers, uh, those folks who are 50 plus, they are far more likely to vote than folks who are 18, 49. What are you saying to them to get them energized to say that this actually matters, why they need to actually come out uh, and vote in this election? I would again point them to the issues and the issues that they care about. That age group that you mentioned, the younger, younger voters are concerned about the environment. They're concerned about affordability of, of things like food on their table for their young families. They're concerned about their public schools. And so I would say to them, we value you, we value your future, and we need you to come out and vote because if we don't make it, we're not going to be able to help you. We're not as effective. And Roland, I've been there when we were at 32, and we were helpless. We couldn't even override a governor's veto. And I've seen us grow, and I've seen the progress that we made when we got to the majority. But And we do depend. And I, will, I would say, though, that younger voters tend to, to um, identify more with the Democratic uh, agenda. And yeah, or, I mean, yes. they, they, they don't self-identify, but when they vote, they're more likely to vote Democrat, but they're also more likely not to vote. Uh, so, the, so the issue is not necessarily how do they lean. The issue is how do you get them to actually turn out? Uh, we saw an increase uh, in the 2020 election. Folks talked about the importance of younger voters, but the reality is uh, if uh, millennials and Gen Z, if they actually vote their numbers, and I hear it all the time uh, I, I, when I go to college campuses, they complain about baby boomers, they complain about older voters, and I always say, yeah, but they show up, you don't. And so the reality is those who show up are the ones who folks actually pay attention to. Uh, and so candidates also and parties uh, have to figure out how to how to uh, engage those individuals to get them to actually come out and vote their numbers. No, absolutely. And we have we have 
have college programs, and I just have to say thank all of our college Democrats for spreading our words, spreading the message, and being part of this process. And it is, it is the younger, I will tell you also in our chamber and as well as our candidates, we have a lot of young uh, candidates running uh, this year. And so um, I'm just hopeful, and uh, we're going to continue to work together to make them turn out. Um, again, I want to go back to uh, we talk about um, turning out African-American voters. Uh, what are the critical areas in this state in terms of where do you need to see significant black turnout in order to win back the House? What are the areas of the state? Well, it would be the Hampton Roads region. Um, that's, that's a critical area we're playing in. Northern Virginia, we do have a few competitive races up there as well that we need uh, African-American voters to turn out. Um, and, but I don't want to neglect any part of the Commonwealth. We have a competitive race out in, in the West, too. Um, so we need everyone turning out. And again, the goal is that the more people that vote, honestly, the better chance that we have of regaining, regaining the House. All right, then. Uh, well, uh, sure enough, we certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Thank uh, you. And um, look forward to see uh, what happens uh, over the next few weeks. Thank you so much. Thanks All for right, thanks me. a bunch. Uh, right now, um, I want to um, want to talk about a couple of things. One, we're going to be joined by uh, several folks. Gary Flowers, who's host of the Gary Flowers Show, uh, he's going to be joining us. Looking forward to uh, to having him here. As I say, we're going to talk about uh, also uh, what what has been happening in uh, Louisiana, and and when the reason why all of this is important because uh, when I look at elections, when I look at uh, what is happening around this country, uh, in many ways these things are connected. You can look at different elections to get a sense of where people are. Uh, and the reality is that there was a lot of, there was a whole lot of um, uh, uh, apathy, if you will, that we saw uh, in Louisiana. A lot of apathy there. And uh, what we're also seeing, again, is you look at declining numbers. And so if you look at the last five or so elections, obviously uh, you had significant black turnout in 2008 with the election of uh, President Barack Obama. Then you saw, of course, a huge drop-off in 2010 with the midterm elections. You saw folks come back out in 2012. But then you saw in 14, 16, 18, and 20, and then 2022, you saw declining numbers. And one of the things that we have consistently uh, made clear to folks is that you have to understand uh, what those numbers look like, what those numbers are, and understand how they are impacting uh, elections. And so a lot of people just have this assumption that, oh, things are going fine. But even if you look at 2022, that was a big drop off of black voters in Florida and South Carolina and many of those places. And we often talk about Georgia, but folks don't realize uh, Georgia is in many ways an anomaly when you talk about what's happening in southern states uh, because they really had uh, an active campaign where they had a third party group that really focused on uh, really mobilizing and organizing that state. And I think uh, one of the biggest issues uh, that we continue to see uh, is this inability to actually mobilize and organize outside of parties. And so we're going to talk about that uh, in just, just a moment as well. Again, what is happening when you're not able to mobilize uh, outside of these uh, parties. Uh, folks in the control room, let me know if you've got your video playback. Uh, also, I need to see monitor here. Uh, and so uh, we, we're going to deal with that and, and, and what really still uh, it, what really still is is, is, is a concern for me 
uh, is that we are not, we're not maximizing our numbers. So in, um, so when I said I went ambassador to Andrew Young, when he ran for Congress in 1972, uh, more than 70% of African Americans turned out to vote. When Harold Washington was elected mayor of Chicago in 1983, 85% of all eligible black voters voted. Without that number, he doesn't become the first black mayor of Chicago. Yet when you begin to look at what is happening all across this country, what we're seeing in many of these places, we literally are seeing 30, 35, and 40 percent. In many, if we hit 45 percent in some places, that's considered a miracle. So what I need folks here to understand is if you really begin to look at the numbers, if we focus on turning out anywhere from 60 to 70 percent of our vote, we literally can win elections statewide. Literally win. So even, even in a state like Virginia, where you have 20% African Americans, if we are voting at that 60, 65, 70% clip in statewide offices, we're controlling who wins. Uh, and so the problem is I think we we're sort of looking at, the, looking at this thing, uh, I believe in the wrong way. Uh, there were some people who were a little upset with me. They said, oh, I was blaming black folks in Louisiana for not voting. And they're like, oh, but candidate X didn't come here, didn't come there. And then I love hearing people say, well, it's not enough to say how bad the other person is going to be. To me, that's about the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Because... Because, and let me be clear, I understand any, any, any candidate should be saying what I'm going to do for you. But I also aware of what someone is not going to do for me. And how are they going to make my life even more difficult and even more terrible? Uh, and we actually see that based upon who these folks are. Right now they are deciding who is going to be a speaker, uh, in, um, is going to be a speaker uh, in uh, Washington, D.C. Everybody in Washington, D.C. knows, even the people in Ohio know, that Jim Jordan is one of the most evil individuals ever. And I know the, I know, I know the Republican, they got the... My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans... Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela Yee is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. <laughs> That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yemi's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Oh. Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. 
When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. Trackers here uh, in uh, Virginia coming to all the town halls, and so I speak to the trackers every time we do one of these. And so I want y'all to write it down. I'll say it slowly because you have y'all sitting here. Jim Jordan is one of the most evil people in all of America. I'm real clear. And again, understand how does a Jim Jordan get into power based upon how we voted in the 2022 midterms. And so when the folks didn't vote in certain races, then we see who won, and all of a sudden, house flips. Uh, and so and then we talk about power. You've got 58 members of the Congressional Black Caucus. If they are in the majority, they are chairing committees, they're chairing subcommittees, they're in control of power. And so you bring this to Virginia, if all of a sudden, if Democrats are in control of the Virginia House, you will have this year, after the election, the largest number of African-Americans in the Virginia House in Virginia history. Which means you will have an African-American Speaker of the House, you have an African-American woman who's controlling the money in the Senate, you have African-Americans who are controlling committees, and so that's understanding power. And so all of us have to make sure that we're connecting these dots, if you will, when we are communicating with our family members, friends, fraternity brothers and sorority sisters, because too many people really aren't quite understanding how all of these things are interrelated. I want to bring up right now uh, a brother who is, uh, who is running the Democratic candidate for Virginia's 6th House District, uh, Joshua Cole. Come on up. Joshua, how you doing? Well, thank you. Good evening. There you go. So I saw you nod your head over there on a couple of those things. <laughs> Absolutely. I think you were speaking truth to power. And um, I currently teach for the James Farmer Scholars Program here in the city of Fredericksburg. And our first class, I had a group of young women. And I told them, I said, when we get out and we vote, take a look at who's in control of Virginia right now. We have Lily Louise Lucas, L. Louise Lucas, who's currently the president pro temp of the Senate in Virginia. Even though we have a Republican, it's still a black woman who is the lieutenant governor of Virginia presiding over the Senate. And we're about to make sure that Don Scott becomes the first southern black speaker in the entire United States. And so it's absolutely true what you said. That means the money comes through black hands. That means all the committees come through black hands. And that's what gives us power. And that's why it's important for Lottie Dottie and everybody to show up to vote. See, I, I don't... Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> I, I make this perfectly clear, and some people get upset with me when I do that, but they'll get over it. Um, uh, I am not particularly concerned when somebody who looks like us, uh, if they are not for us. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, um, again, for the tracker, I don't care if the lieutenant governor is a black woman. She is not advocating policies on behalf of black people. Absolutely. And so, 
Um, and again, the hardest thing is to get people to understand how we have to connect the dots. Uh, because I think a lot of people just don't understand really the basic roles of, of different people, different who's a state rep, who's a state senator, who's county, who's city, who's school board, and not understanding that when you have folks in those positions who have our community's best interests at heart, uh, then we begin to see the kind of uh, return on our investment that we expect. Absolutely. And I think it's key that, as you stated, we have to, one, understand who's at every single level. Um, and right here in Stafford County, we are running an election when you want to talk about the power of black people. Every single state candidate for the House of Delegates running in Stafford County is African American. Delegate Candy King, myself, and Bishop Leonard Lacey. So that means for the entirety of Stafford County, which links up as one of the 10th most powerful counties for black wealth, all three state house candidates are African American. We also have to understand that it's determined in the courts. When we get elected to the House of Delegates, we are the ones who pick and appoint the judges to be on the bench who determine when our brothers and our sisters get certain, um, you know, judgments. It's also imperative that we know who's running for Commonwealth Attorney here in Virginia, who's running for Sheriff, who's running for School Board, and then we have to get behind them. We see the education system in Virginia is coming direct attack by this Yunkin administration. First of all, our governor lost $201 million by mistake and said, I don't know how I lost that education money, but y'all figure it out until I can find it. <laughs> then they are directly attacking our education by stating, we're going to take Martin Luther King out of the curriculum, we're going to remove the I have a dream speech out of the curriculum. Oh, and by the way, y'all can't even read Toni Morrison. And so we have to make sure that we are involved at every single level from the dog catcher all the way up to the president. I want to I, I want to stay on that point about in terms of what's happening uh, in education. And uh, I've been yelling from the rooftops uh, for years that so many of us overlook school board races. We saw in 2022, uh, and it really before that, where after the 2020 election, folks like Steve Bannon and others were saying, we're going to take over the school boards. And they began to attack critical race theory. They began to make, turn that uh, into something that actually it wasn't, but they were all lying about it. You had people who were running these school boards in Virginia yelling, you're teaching CRT, and superintendents were like, no, we're not. That's not even taught. Uh, on, even in um, uh, undergraduate, in college, taught uh, really on a graduate level. Uh, but we knew exactly what that was. They were pressing the buttons of white fear. Yeah. Uh, and that's what was going on uh, there. Uh, but we saw too many people who were falling asleep. So what happened? Moms for Liberty took over a slew of school boards all across the South and immediately began firing superintendents, mm -hmm. began targeting uh, to, uh, teachers, targeting curriculum, targeting what books and libraries. Uh, and we, we saw in one particular state, they were so angry with the school board, with, 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 the, with the librarian, they literally defunded the library so the library can go out of business. Yep. And so that's the type of folks that we're seeing, uh, and that's the type of person you're actually running against. Absolutely. Uh, what, what you're talking about happened right here in Spotsylvania County just a couple of months ago when the Republicans took control of the Spots Spotsylvania School Board. They fired a well-beloved superintendent. And then the MAGA Republican chair hired his best friend. But this is what was so crazy about that hiring, Roland. That person had never been to public school. His kids never went to public school. This is the most crazy part. His mm. own daughter wrote a letter to the school board asking them not to hire her father. And he still got hired. 
They had to go through some hoops and Governor Yunkin approved them. He got approved to be the superintendent. And the first thing he did, remember when I told you about that $201 million that the governor lost? The first thing that superintendent did, he said, let's fire all librarians. Let's get rid of governor school. Let's get rid of international baccalaureate programs. And let's get rid of all paraprofessionals. Now, this is one time I'm agree with the Republicans. The Republicans on the school board stopped them as their majority. But we are seeing that as we have candidates who are running for the House of Delegates, instead of speaking truth to power and talking about the issues, they're taking all these money from these Republican elected officials, and then they're being utilized as puppets. If you don't agree with banning books, then say you don't agree. Don't hire, don't hide behind the people who are endorsing you and not saying anything. If you think that our history needs to be taught, don't hide behind the people who are endorsing you and paying you and speak up and talk about it. If you are tired of our schools being the funded and money being taken away from our schools, don't hide behind the people who are endorsing you and funding you and speak up and talk about it. See, the thing that, um, that, that, that really concerns me again is that if they get power, they want to control the purse, they want to control the purse strings, they want to control the curriculum. Uh, and so now all of a sudden, we're even seeing in my home state of Texas, where they're, they want, they're now trying to attack tenure on a college level. Uh, they claim that, oh, we're getting rid of this indoctrination, but really what they're trying to do is install a hard right-wing, uh, fact-free indoctrination of our children and even folks who are working in these areas. Absolutely. When I served in the House of Delegates, I was on the House Education Committee and specifically the Higher Ed Committee. And what we have to make sure is that we are protecting, one, the ability for students to explore and to think, not control how they think. And I think what the problem is, is when these people and their beliefs are challenged, then they believe that people are being indoctrinated. No, we are encouraging our students to grow, think, and challenge the norms. And there's nothing wrong with that. But furthermore, we have seen that public education, whether it be the community college, the college, or the, or the public school, have, has been attacked by the Republicans for centuries. And it's now catching up to us where they have now mm -hmm. been able to amass enough support to take money from our public schools, and now they're telling you, well, this is why you need to have a charter school. This is why you need to have a, 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 a coupon to go take your kids to a private school. But baby, let me help you out. If your student is having problems in a school that the public, the private, the politicians have already taken money from, if you take more money from those schools and go to a private school, which is not regulated by the state, you are only moving the problem and you're not addressing the problem. But, but the other thing is this here, and this is, um, and, and I have no problem saying it, I, I have always been um, an ardent supporter uh, of charters, but I want us to control them. Mm -hmm. Let me be perfectly clear. I want us to control them completely. The problem that, even, like even right now in Texas, uh, they've called a special session over a voucher bill. It, it, it's actually a scam. As somebody who supports school choice, who has an initiative called school choice is the black choice, I know what is happening in Texas is a scam. Uh, because what their goal is, and this is the thing that people understand, and I love when people say this, uh, oh, we want to make it open and they can go to private schools. You only have a certain number of seats. Mm -hmm. I've always argued that if you're going to provide a voucher program, it should go to the worst of the worst. 
what are, what are the academic numbers? Oh, no, no, I'm not talking about trying to see a suburban child who their parents can't afford to go to the private school and they want to use that voucher to do so. No, 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 make it available for that low-income child who has no future, who, who has been going to, frankly, a failing school for 20 years. They don't actually want to support that. So that's really, that's really what happens there. And but, we've but seen that here in Virginia. The governor talked about the voucher program, and then the report came out and showed that he was supporting wealthy families more than those who were actually in need. Right, and, that, and so that's when, for me, as somebody who supports it, I like, I, want, I like to expose those individuals because they are not, they don't actually care about the poorest of the poor. They don't care about those kids uh, who are not going to properly funded schools. We know exactly what, uh, exactly what uh, that, that scam is. You served in the General Assembly, lost uh, in 2021, except for the folks who, again, who do not understand of the role and the power of state rep, uh, explain to them really what, what that is about and why it matters who is representing you there in that body. Absolutely. I think going back to what I mentioned earlier about appointing judges on the bench, when I was in the House of Delegates, we appointed the youngest African-American male to serve in the 15th Judicial District. That's right here in Fredericksburg, Stafford, and Spotsylvania. And then the next year, we came around and appointed Judge Jane Reynolds, the first African-American female to serve on the bench in the 15th District. And so that means when our brothers and our sisters and our kids go to, go to court and they're encountering situations and circumstances, we now have at least two judges, three judges on the bench who can live through lived experience eyes and say, you know what? I'm going to send you to community service, but you come back to me, then I'm going to send you to juvie. We now have the opportunity to give people second chances and the option not to mess up their life because of a mistake. We also look at what happened in the education committee. Um, I was uh, chair, I didn't chair, excuse me, I participated in a, a board that helps do research on how to implement um, uh, uh, um, uh, I'm having a brain freeze right now. Implementing um, uh, reparations in, our, in the black community. And it wasn't just about giving black folks checks, but it was out how are we going to do scholarships for black people who want to be teachers and make sure they can get full school rides? What are we doing for black and minority SWAM, small women and minority owned businesses, to make sure that they're giving the first opportunity? What are we doing about this now that we have legalized marijuana and we're moving towards the industrial, the industry part of it? How are we going to make sure that black owned businesses are right there in the front line instead of Philip Moore and Altria. Those are the type of discussions we were having when the Democrats and the African Americans were leading these committees. Now, mind you, now that the Republicans have control of the House of Delegates, they only have one elected Republican, and he doesn't chair anything. Well, that's a big difference. <laughs> that's a difference. Um, this, you're now in the fi final days, um, and what do you believe in terms of if you look at the last election numbers, what do you what do you what do you believe you're going to need uh, to win? Absolutely. As we're looking at numbers, one, the last district I ran in, the 28th House District, was a Republican gerrymandered district. So when I won in 2019, it was a miracle. I shouldn't have been elected in the first place as a nappy-headed black boy from Stafford County. But now we're running in a brand-new district with slightly leans Democrat that has not, be has not been gerrymandered. But what's more important is, with this district being about roughly 18 to 20 percent black, the same thing as our state. It's, an it's a little microcosm of the Commonwealth of Virginia. We need Lottie Dottie and everybody to show up. And we need to make sure that people understand this race is about our freedoms. But I heard someone say the other night that for people who felt like they never had freedom, 
For people who felt like the system never worked for them in the first place, it's going to be even harder to convince them to show up to vote. And this is what I've been encouraging people as I've been talking on the doors. You look at me, and if you feel like I look like you, I'm going to fight for you. If you look at me and you hear how I'm talking, I'm carrying the issues that you are concerned about the most. We're talking about schools. We're talking about traffic. I don't know which way you came if you had to deal with traffic coming down here. But I got friends that... I was asleep, so... Um... <laughs> I have friends that come through here. Deshaun was dealing with traffic. I was asleep. And they tell me, they say, I don't like That's why I pay him to drive. <laughs> They're like, I don't like coming to Fredericksburg because your traffic is possessed. We can have an opportunity to invest in a regional transportation authority that will keep our funds right here. We have the opportunity to invest to make sure that there are businesses that are bringing good paying jobs so that the people who commute up and down to D.C. every single day will be able to work here and spend more time with their children and make it to their football games. This is what this is all about. Hold tight one second. Uh, I'm going to go to break. We come back. Uh, we're going to take uh, some of the questions, uh, folks, uh, here. I'm sure they got some questions for you, so we'll do that. Uh, uh, also, a little bit later, we'll be chatting with my man, Gary Flowers, uh, radio talk show host, talking about politics here in Virginia. And we'll also uh, we'll have some guests who are joining us uh, from Louisiana, uh, talking about what happened there this weekend as well. Folks, we're here uh, at uh, Zion Church in Fredericksburg, and so glad to be here for our third uh, town hall here in Virginia, uh, and so we look forward to coming right back. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public, the list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward, don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. All right, folks, welcome back to Roland Martin on the Filter on the Black Star Network here at Zion Church in Fredericksburg. Glad to be here. So we're going to do this here. Uh, we've got uh, uh, Joshua Cole here, taking, uh, who's, of course, running uh, in the 6th uh, District. So uh, we're going to uh, take some questions. And so who got some questions for uh, the candidate? What you got? Anybody? Don't be scared. All right, step on up. Step up. Actually, I'm going to come down. I'll come down. So we got some rules. So first of all, uh, I don't need you touching the microphone. I got it. I don't need no help. Come on. Come on up. Step up right here. All right, cool. What's your name? What's your question? My name is Sharon Bethune, and uh, I do represent the American Federation of Government Employees, the largest union uh, represent, representing federal employees. 
we were talking about education, and one of the things that I do know is that the Virginia Lottery uh, designates so many millions of dollars every year to uh, K through 12 public schools. FY 2023, $867 million went to public schools. Stafford County received $16,234,899 uh, uh, to go towards 34 schools here in Stafford. What is going on? Uh, I had the experience of watching a teacher uh, in line. Uh, she was bought to tears because she was in there buying supplies for her, for her students, and her husband told her that uh, they could no longer afford for her to be a teacher because too much of her money was going back to the classroom. But yet we hear about the Virginia Lottery giving us so many millions of dollars. Where is that money going, and why isn't there more oversight? All right. Appreciate it. Thank you for that question. What I think is very key to understand how this partnership works between the state and the, the state, the federal and this uh, local government. And we have seen time and time again, especially if we're talking about Stafford County public schools uh, where I live and my kids go to school, we are seeing where there is like, and for a lack of better explanation, a divorce between the school board and the board of supervisors. And there will be a fight between the two. Well, if you don't do this, we're not going to give you that money. And so we get the money. We do what we're supposed to do on the state level. We send it down to the local level. And then the sad reality is sometimes the local level, the local government, the board of supervisors or the city council will hold certain funds but more importantly there's also a lack of complete funding because the local governments have to come up with the rest of the funding so we send money but the local governments have to come up with the rest of the funding and if you have these localities who are cutting taxes and not raising taxes to make sure that they can fund these schools, that's where the major problem is. So we have to make sure we have the right people on the Board of Supervisors, the City Council, and the School Board to work together so that money goes where it needs to go. See, that's one of the things that I think a lot of people, uh, it's always interesting to me. I look, I'll cover city government uh, in Fort Worth, I'll cover county government in Austin, uh, and then, of course, Dallas, Houston, Chicago, uh, and here as well. Um, and what a lot of people don't understand is that when, when, when candidates run and then they say, I'm going to cut taxes, um, one of the things that people don't do is first ask the question, how is stuff being paid for? Uh, and the reality is, uh, so in, for me in Texas, we don't have a state income tax, but you will have hospital district, school district, you have property taxes. Uh, and so when pe so people love to say, hey, cut taxes, but then when you cut taxes, you're decreasing revenue that's coming into government. Then all of a sudden when people start making cuts to government and they go, why are you making cuts? Well, it's real simple. Decreased revenue, you gotta sit here uh, and actually cut something. Uh, and, and that's just one of the things that uh, I think a lot of folks aren't really putting together when we start talking about uh, how government is actually funded. Obviously, people want, to, people want to keep as much money as they can, but they also want potholes to be filled. They also want certain things that government provide, and that's literally what government provides. I don't have children, 
But I understand the importance of a, a, a school district because if you actually own a business, you want to make sure that kids are being taught because you're going to be employing individuals if they're staying home. And so I think a lot of people really don't uh, connect those dots. And we're talking about when we hear Candace say, I'm going to cut your taxes, well, you better start asking what else are you going to cut when you cut taxes? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Question, who else we got? We got one question here. We got, come on up. Step on up. All right. What's your question? My question is concerning veterans. I'm Hashmel Turner, and I'm a former Vietnam veteran, former city councilman here in the city of Fredericksburg. We are concerned about homelessness for our veterans, unable to get the proper medical treatment that they deserve. They've laid their lives on the line for us so that we could even have this town hall meeting tonight. And yet when they come back home, they're treated like they're expendable. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. <laughs> First, Reverend Turner, we appreciate your service both to our country and to our community. And we thank you for being an amazing staple right here. Um, in 2020, I carried a piece of legislation that would have stopped retired military pay taxing. Um, and so we had a discussion, again, going back to what you said, you stop the taxing, what is that going to cover? And so we had a discussion that something absolutely has to be done to protect our veterans, to honor our veterans. Uh, but that bill was not passed. We continue to move on. I'm going to continue to have that discussion and to carry that bill. We're also excited about the new VA hospital that's coming right here to Spotsylvania County. Which is going to bring many jobs to the area and stop people from having to drive all the way down to McGuire and Richmond or up the road. And so, <laughs> and so we're excited about that. But most importantly, we know right here in Fredericksburg, housing is a major issue. And so I have been making it a prime part of our campaign to address affordable housing, talking with developers to making sure that when we put these housing in play, it's not Section 8 housing or low income housing, it's workforce housing, maybe even veterans housing, so that you have a nice place to live and that you don't have to come out of the wazoo to pay and live. And those are things that are definitely on our list that we have to address. All right. All right. Question back here. Yeah, come on. Watch the camera. Don't want your trip. We ain't suing nobody. All right. What's your question? The question is that uh, many of the Opposing candidates in Stafford County are accusing all of our uh, candidates that are running of pushing to defund the police. And, and we know that that is uh, not true, uh, but they, uh, this theme keeps coming up in all the uh, uh, attack ads. Gotcha. Oh, yeah, I saw it. Matter of fact, I think, um, uh, what was the other day? I saw, uh, I saw a wild ad. Um, going after you, <laughs> and I'm sitting, and, and, and I understand when when, I, when you see these ads. Uh, as a journalist, anytime I see something being stated, the first thing I do is, okay, what are they citing? What's the source? Uh, and there's never a source. It's always sort of these very just broad uh, claims. Uh, and and oh yeah, again, one of the ones that Republicans have been loving to use, defund the police when. Last I checked, last I checked, they've been trying to defund the FBI. 
defund the DEA, defund uh, uh, ATF. Uh, they've been mad that they are targeting January 6th people. So it's amazing the people who keep complaining about defund the cops. They ain't got no problem supporting folks who want to defund the cops on a federal level. And then they want to protect January 6th folks who were beaten trying to kill cops. But go ahead. You go ahead and answer that. <laughs> no, I think um, it's amazing. As you can see, my opponent is an African-American cop who's running on the Republican side. So I guess they try to pit him against me um, as a progressive person running in this area. I served on the House Public Safety Committee, and I was the one who carried the budget amendment to increase police funding training throughout the entire Commonwealth of Virginia. And so, no. No, 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 no. See, first of all, come on now, you're a preacher now. You know you're supposed to, like, restate something, make it plain. I mean, you need to say, let me put a pen in it. You know, come on now, you, you just don't move on to the next point. So you need to, like restate that point again for the folk who didn't quite hear it, especially the Republican trackers that are in the room. Yeah, and I think that's key. You know, they're attacking me on this, but I was the one who carried the budget amendment to increase police training funding throughout the entire Commonwealth, not just in Fredericksburg, but for all of our regional police academies. How much was that? It was over a million dollars. Absolutely. And that was just a small drop in the bucket of what needs to be done. When I was in the House, I chaired the State Advisory Commission on Autism. And I can't tell you the amount of parents with students on the spectrum who would come to me to say, you're on the Public Safety Committee and our law enforcement officers have to be trained, must be trained mm -hmm. on how to deal with our people in the community on the spectrum. And I think that's very key. One, you can look through my social media, you can look on my personal page, and you will never find a retweet a like or a post calling for defunding the police. I have worked with law enforcement officers. I have made sure that when the protests were happening in the city, I fostered community relations with many community leaders who are in the house tonight to bring protesters together with police officers together to find out how we can move forward. And this is why it's so important. You have the right people in these seats who are not going to lie to y'all and expound on the, on the falsities that's happening in the community that we have real people who are bringing real community solutions. So what you're saying is, which, which camera, which camera is on me? Which camera is on me? The center camera, that one, this one right here? The center camera right here? All right, so what you said, oh, this is the slider. What you're saying is, Lee Peters is a liar. <laughs> I know we in church, but what you're saying is, he lying. He's a bought and paid for liar because he has received the most money from Governor Yunkin and the current Speaker of the House. Uh, just checking. <laughs> See, I, I like to make it plain for folks. All right, anybody else with a question? Come on, step on up. Yeah, I'll make it real plain. Lee, you lying. All right. Put your hand up. Just because you're an alpha don't mean you get to grab the microphone. That don't mean nothing. Oh, shit. Brother Michael Powell, how you doing? How are you? Uh, I'm concerned with the voter apathy between the age brackets when we have the youth who are not coming out to vote. So I got six categories here I wanted to discuss with you. Voter education, grassroots mobilization, outreach programs, volunteering and mentorship programs, and address voter suppression. If you had to select one, which one would you say organizations like I'm involved with need to concentrate on to encourage those youth to get out and vote? Give me those first Got three it. again. I'm sorry. 
voter education, mm -hmm. grassroots mobilization, outreach programs. Okay. Okay. So I think grassroots mobilization is going to be very key. Uh, because we have to partner with the people who are in the community. We have Black Voters Matter who are here. I see local pastors like Reverend Herman Gladney, who has a civic engagement ministry at Emanuel AME. We need to partner with these local grassroots organizations who have already done the work. We don't have to work harder, we gotta work smarter. And so there are already organizations that are in the community and we need to partner with them. This is so key. When I was elected in 2019, I was one of three members of the General Assembly who were under the age of 30. I'll state that again. Three members out of 140 who were under the age of 30. I was the one of the youngest members of the House of Delegates, and God willing speak those things that are not as though they were. When I get reelected on November the 7th, I'm still going to be one of the youngest members in the General Assembly. And we have to make sure, I quote this all the time, President Barack Obama said, if you don't let your grandparents pick your clothes, why are you letting your grandparents pick your leaders? Well, and I, and I want to uh, I want to pick up on the voter mobilization piece. So, uh, last election, how many votes did you lose by? Just under 700 votes. 700 votes. And what's the available number of voters in uh, in, for, in the area for that seat? Ooh, it's about. I'm looking at my campaign manager. It's about. So the district itself is about 80, 88,000 voters. Okay. A consistent voting of about. So, You need 13,000. Gotcha. And how many did you get last time? Last time we were right about 12,000, I think. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so here's one. So, so to, I'm going to answer your question in a different way. Um, and, and this and what I'm talking about now is old school. So one of the biggest problems, I believe, and we saw this with Hillary Clinton's campaign in 2016, is that folk get so caught up in new technology. They get caught up in algorithms. They get caught up with polls saying, when there's really only one poll that matters, and that's the last one is how people actually vote. Mm -hmm. So if you look at that, uh, polling data is also public, meaning you can actually go pull the data and see how every precinct yep. in the district voted in the last election. Mm -hmm. Not just in the 2021 election, you can look at how those same precincts voted in the 2022 election. And so then what you then do is, this is what every group can do. What you then do is you say, okay, if you got to get 13,000, you look at where did, he, where did he get the votes in 2021, and then go, okay, where are the weak areas? Meaning, where are the high propensity, and when I mean by high propensity, where are the people who are likely to support him? Where are the people who are likely to vote? And if you look at a precinct, and that particular precinct has 800 registered voters, but only 40, 80, or 100 people voted, that means in that precinct alone, it's 700 potential folks to touch. And so then you also know, because it's public also who's registered, you can go to folks' door. 
So what happens is, I think one of the greatest mistakes, and, and, and I love, I love, I had, a, I had somebody who was trying to, who had, they thought they were trying to criticize me on social media by saying, well, I wish these media figures, you know, who are talking politics would come out here and do phone banks and o o mobilize and organize. And he was trying to suggest that I don't. What he didn't realize, because he, again, he didn't learn how to read a bio, um, is that, I was eight, nine, and 10 standing outside of polling locations passing stuff out because mom and daddy were working campaigns. My parents have actually run phone banks. They worked on the campaign of Houston's first female mayor, Kathy Whitmire. Uh, so they've run, they, they've been precinct judges at, at a voting location for the last 30 years. So when somebody loves, tries to ask me, uh, they don't know what I'm talking about, I actually lived it because every election, because we were free labor, we had to work elections. So I kind of know what I'm talking about considering I had to go door to door when I was 10, 12, and 14 years old. And so I love the people who understand that. But that's literally what should happen. Folks in here, different groups should be saying, so let's say you got alphas, you got AKs, you got deltas, you got kappas, omegas, you got Prince Hall Mason, you got Eastern Star, you got links, you got all these groups, you got church groups, Folk need to stop trying to do everything by themselves. If the Divine Nine says, all right, we're going to target these three precincts, and then another organization, we're going to target these three, how many, how many precincts in the district? 18. The 18? Oh, this ain't that hard. So it's 18. So literally, if groups say, we're going to take this one precinct, and we're going to blanket that one precinct, and other groups say, we're going to take that one, you now all of a sudden have folks putting their energy in the right place, so one group's not trying to hit all 18, you could just focus on one. That's what has to happen for us to drive our numbers up, so I think a lot of us, as, we, as you said earlier, are not working smarter as it, when it comes to these elections. We're trying to all do the exact same thing, when it makes no sense whatsoever, so we have to maximize our time and our resources. That's what has to happen. So if today is the last day of early voting, then between now and election day, when does early voting end? Early voting ends this month, the Saturday before, so on the 28th. That's the last day of early voting. Gotcha. So go ahead. November 4th. November early voting is November 4th. November so, the 28th is when it starts. So, so focus right now has to be on driving folks to vote early and then the election is november the 7th now you have those after that those three days to say okay who didn't vote and then hit them that way that's how the that's where the targeting uh then has to be uh and then i think again when you target uh and then if you talk about within a fraternity or a sorority you got your graduating ones and your, and your and your younger members and so again parsing folks out that way it, it, that's just going old school yep. and that's and that's how it used to be where they weren't so caught up uh in again the algorithms and the technology it was old school going door to door and and hitting folks three four five times yep. did you vote did you vote? Did you vote? But they go like, man, I'm so sick of y'all coming out going to vote. If you go vote, I ain't gonna come out of your house again. But that's but that's but that's literally how folk 
used to do it. And we're, and we're still doing that right now. Since July, I think I've knocked just shy of 5,000 doors in the 65th. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. District, and we're still going to be knocking until Election Day to pull Lottie Dottie and everybody out. And I've already hit people's doors six, five times. I promise. I knocked on the door on Saturday. I said, Mr. Johnson, this is my last time coming on your door. <laughs> But I just need you to answer me this question. Can I count on your support? And do you plan to vote early voter in person? I'm going to vote in person. And you good. We're going we, we to support you. So I appreciate that even though they're frustrated, they still tell us they're going to support us. Right, right. Well, first of all, how you talk, you were probably talking to somebody who was 65 plus. <laughs> so they're going to vote. So I don't even know. I, let's just be real clear. They got a plan already. Yeah. It's them other folk. Right. Who ain't who ain't got that? So that's the deal there. Uh, any other questions before I let uh, I let uh, Joshua step aside? Anybody else? Anybody else? Are you walking up here with a question? Or are you just walking, girl? You, you don't you don't just be walking in no church. <laughs> like you either coming up here laying some money on the altar, or uh, praying. You don't just be walking forward just because. You better put your finger in the ass so we know what you're doing. All right, Joshua, your final thoughts. No, I just think it's really important that everyone understands how important this election is. As I've been knocking on doors and talking to everyone, as I said earlier, this election is literally about our freedoms coming under attack. We have watched our governor, who has shut down early voting locations in the African-American communities, who has shut down and stopped Sunday voting in predominantly African-American communities. And now we just found out that over 147,000 people have mysteriously been kicked off the voting rolls. That that is not something that just happens. This is a direct attack on African-Americans. And I don't care if the highest person in his administration is a black person, if just because all skin folk ain't all kin folk. And so we have to make sure that we are showing and some kin, that. And some kin folk ain't kin folk. <laughs> And so we have to show up in mass. Don't be swayed by the lies and the propaganda that you see. They do that to turn down the vote because they know how you're going to vote. And as I talk to young people, as I talk to people, African-Americans all over the community, I tell them all the time, if your vote really didn't matter, they wouldn't be fighting you so hard to prevent you from voting. And so while maybe you don't care about politics, your landlord does, and that's how they keep your rent high. You may not care about politics, but your insurance companies do, and that's how they keep your premiums high. You may not care about politics, but your boss does, and that's how they keep your payload. And so we have to unite together. We have to show up at every election, and it's not time now nor in the future to go to sleep. So I got a, uh, someone sent me a text uh, about the early voting numbers, uh, and of 18 uh, different races, uh, three of them lean Democrat, um, five are competitive, three are strong Republican, uh, and seven lean Republican. 
Uh, and so that's also why early, early voting actually matters. And then actually when I'm looking here, if you're talking about 13, 15,000, I'm looking here at 3,000, 3,100, 3,200. So what we're seeing is folks are going to be hoping most folks turn out. Uh, so the reality is what you would prefer, I'll declare if I'm wrong, you would prefer that early vote number be as high as possible so you're not hoping they turn out. And again, and that's the thing, people, they, they are hoping people turn out as opposed to, no, 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 I got to get them out. Absolutely. And that's what we've been working. As I have over thousands of volunteers going out, knocking on thousands of doors, we are encouraging people to go show up and vote. I was just knocking in Spotsylvania County, literally next door to the Breezewood Shopping Center where early voting is going. And I was telling them, y'all can go vote right now, right next door. It's there you, right there. There you go. And so as we will walk you first, over. We're going to be all right. Right. <laughs> all right. Joshua Cole, we appreciate it. Thanks I a lot. appreciate it. Thank you, sir. I'm going to go to a break. We come back. Uh, we're gonna I'm going to talk with um, Leonard Lacey, who's running for Delegate District 64. And then we're going to talk about what happened uh, in Louisiana. All of that's next right here in Roller Mart Unfiltered, right here on the Black Star Network. Back in a moment. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. District 64, Leonard, come on up, please. Uh, glad to have you here. Uh, first off, um, it's going to be a little hard for them to say you want to defund the police. Yes. Explain why. 
things got to change. We got to press forward and continue to go forward and not back up. And I think where we are in the state of Virginia right now, if we lose this election, meaning the party, we're going to be going in reverse and we don't need that. When you hear, uh, again, when you hear uh, folks from the other side make those uh, claims, uh, you serve as a state police officer. I did. Uh, for quite some time. Right. 33 and, years. And the thing that's interesting to me, I, I talk to black cops all across this country, and I have noble executives on the show all the time, and they stop me all the time saying, keep doing what you're doing because we know what it's like inside of these departments and what needs to happen to have better relationships uh, with the public. And so how important will it be for someone like you to be in public office on this very issue who knows this issue quite well because you did it for three decades? Well, it's important because of education. I believe all systems of our government and even in some of the industry, there need to be some re-education going on. If you think about it, law enforcement go to uh, school, get their training pretty much in doing investigation and how to write tickets. Uh, they don't get a lot of instruction about different communities and cultures and things of that nature. So I think um, the whole agency needs to pay a little bit more attention and understand that every uh, community is not the same. And that you don't just come in my community with your sirens blasting and don't go in another one. Sorry. It's just so subtle little things that can make a big difference in our community. Well, it ain't always subtle. Uh, yeah. and, I mean, because I mean, look, we run these videos all the time on my show, and, 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 we, and we see what happens. We see, look, the other day, there was a white woman who walked into a police station, was shooting in the police station, and she's still living. They busted in after she fired, fired the last shot with stun guns and stopped her. I ain't never seen somebody black walk into a police station firing their gun indiscriminately and they still here. And, and so, and so we actually can see with our own eyes the treatment and, and the disparity, how different people are treated, how when it comes to us, there's typical escalation and others, there's de-escalation. Right. But then there's perhaps that, um, unspoken, untold uh, situation that's going on as well um, that does not fit a culture. Um, you got law enforcement. They begin with a, a gun, given authority, and the last thing that they will acknowledge that I'm fearful. So maybe some of these shootings or some of these incidents that, that we're experiencing in our community is coming out of fear. And once the person is shot, then oftentimes they revert to, I thought I saw a gun. Right where it was really fear to start with. So I think getting a... Because also clear, we know how the law is very yeah. protective of, right. of police officers, and that's always a go-to for, for a lot of people. And, and, and see, that's where I think on this issue, um, it, it really is a major, major thing when it comes to how communities respond differently. If you have no relationship with a community right. or with people, then you don't know how to deal with them. I was in Peoria, Illinois, a couple of weeks ago. There was a brother uh, being a police officer two decades. Um, and, uh, and he said, when I'm walking around, he said, one, they know who I am. So if I encounter them, it's not an automatic fear because I know them, they know me, and I can say certain things 
that's going to cause them to say, all right, you're right, we need to go ahead and do this here. But when you have folks where you don't have that relationship who are in our communities, then you sort of have this adversarial relationship. That's right. And this is where relationships goes back. If we never have a conversation, I never spend any time with you, there can be no relationship built. And this is why law enforcement got to get out of the car and only showing up in our neighborhoods when it's time to arrest somebody or do an investigation and be out there in the cool of the day when other things are going on as well. You talked about education of police, but also education itself is one of the issues that you're focused on. Yes, and community uh, need to be educated as well. Our parents need to be educated as well. I'm going to listen to you guys and talk with Josh and the questions that were presented. And a lot of things that we're speaking about tonight, you gave us a good education on how to get the vote out tonight. But all of us, every church, every organization, need to onboard that attitude and get out here and not just sit on the sideline and complaining about what is not working. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and uh, a couple of more um, mental health services. That is something that we hear. Anytime after one of these shootings, I love, love to hear the folks who don't believe in gun control say, oh, it's mental illness, but then they vote against mental health services. Well, how are you going to deal with mental illness if you're not properly funding mental health services? We have to get the funding there uh, for the treatment, but not only that, for the the kind of service in our schools and our communities that's needed. I believe here in our community, if someone needs to have um, residential service, maybe perhaps Richmond and Stanton, Virginia is the closest place we have of the beds field here. So we got to put the resources there. I believe COVID brought on a lot of things in our community, but in addition to that, many times we're in denial. Uh, of what's really going on and we kind of pass it off. I got a headache, but there's some serious issues. So I just think again, educating and utilizing all of our community groups mm -hmm. and uh, churches to get this message out that this is a serious issue. How is your race looking? Where, what help do you need? Okay, which camera I'm looking at? It's hard. I'm not going to do it as well. Um, but uh, volunteerism is, is difficult. Not getting the resources to fund, to buy some of the TV ads like Josh got. I saw him the other night on TV looking good. I haven't got there yet. So I'm out knocking on more doors. It is um, a red district. It's a hard district, but I got one thing going for me is that I'm out there. I know the community, been there in the community since 1977. And um, know pretty much the heartbeat of what's going on. All right. Well, then you need to tell people how to contact you. If you need some help, to, where can they go? What's your website? The website is laserfordelegate.com. Uh, I'll even give you my cell number, but it's going to be when you come to my table and get it from me. I'm not going to shout it out like that. Um, <laughs> we want serious people to get on this campaign trail with us. We need to vote from the top down, make this thing happen so we can make history. One thing, Roland, that's going to happen in Virginia. History will be made this year. Either way. Either way. Good or bad, and depend on, and I don't hear no mouth, it'll go the other way. Oh, I agree with we you. Can, we can win this. We just got to get out. So I know we got pastors in here. Get out and charge your congregation. Get them to vote early. They might get stuck in traffic. We don't know what will happen. Vote early. Get it on the record. It's done, and we'll feel better. I know Josh will feel better, and every one of our candidates will feel better when you get that early vote. Plus, if you vote early, then you can drive other folk to the, to the, to the polls on election day because yeah. you're free. Yeah, that's right. Ain't that hard. Yeah. Leonard Lacey, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot.
I'm sorry. I said, we well, appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Okay. Good luck. Okay. I'm good, man. All right. Appreciate it. Now give folks your number at that table. Don't shout it out. All okay. right. We got it. I <laughs> appreciate it. Thank, Thank you, you so sir. very much. All right, folks, I started off talking about uh, what, what happened over the weekend in Louisiana. You heard Leonard say good can happen, bad can happen. Uh, in Louisiana, terrible happened. Was Charles Barkley would say terrible, terrible, terrible actually happened. Uh, and, uh, and again, I think for a lot of people uh, who sit at home uh, are now going to realize uh, once certain policies now uh, come into play, they're going to realize uh, the mistake that, that they actually made uh, by sitting at home. There are a couple of people uh, who uh, they've been tweeting lots of information. They've been covering the, what happened there. And, and I really think what happened in Louisiana is instructive for folks uh, here in Virginia. We got upcoming elections in Mississippi, governor races in Mississippi, uh, in Kentucky. Uh, and what happened there can also teach us and get us ready for it next year uh, for the presidential race as well. Robert, Dr. Robert Collins, Professor of Urban Studies and Public Policy. Uh, he's at Dillard University. Uh, he joins us uh, out of New Orleans. Glad to have you here. John uh, Cavillion. Uh, John is the founder and CEO of JMC Analytics and Polling out of Baton Rouge. Glad to have uh, both of you here. Um, John, I want to start with you. I want to so, sort of want to set this. I've really been looking at your, the tweets that you've been posting, breaking down the data. Uh, and so first off, for folks who, who are unfamiliar with the state, how many eligible registered voters are there in the state of Louisiana? So the total voter registration is approximately 3 million in Louisiana. Okay, so you got about 3 million in Louisiana. Okay, how many people actually voted in this year's election? So turnout was 36%, so it was just over a million total voters. So it was just over a million total voters. So... You have leadership in the state uh, elected by barely one-third of all voters. In the strictest technical sense, yes. Um, and uh, for African Americans, you've got more than 900,000 African Americans uh, who, who are, are registered voters in Louisiana, correct? Correct. They're about 31% of the electorate. 31% of the electorate, and we made up what percentage of this year's election? My estimate, based on the precinct data I saw and the early voting data, I'm estimating an approximately 24% black electorate when all is said and done. Black electorate done. Whoa. So not 24% of those who voted. Of all those voters, of black voters in Louisiana, 24% of the 900,000. Correct. Correct. Uh, Robert, I'm not, I'm in a church, I'm trying not to cuss, but Robert, what the hell happened? Well, Roland, you know, today I, I went and did some uh, um, unscientific polling, and, uh, and, and, and what I did was I, was I walked through City Park in New Orleans. And, and I asked people whether or not they voted. I didn't ask them how they voted, because that's, that's private. But I asked people um, uh, uh, whether or not they voted. And if they said, no, I didn't vote, and I asked, why didn't you vote? 
and and the responses I got was normally along the lines, well, it's it's not going to matter anyway. We're a conservative state, no matter what you do. Um, you know, it 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 doesn't matter if if Jeff Landry won in the primary or in the general, he was going to win in the general election anyway. Um, you know, so I got a lot of you know. Uh, um, uh, old boss, uh, uh, you know, new new boss, same as the old boss, uh, kind of kind of responses. Basically, I I think what what, what happened, Roland, was two things. Um, uh, you know, number one, there was sort of a an air of of uh, inevitability around Jeff Landry. He he has led this election from uh, wire to wire. He had by far, you know, the most money. He had over over ten million dollars raised. Over over ten million dollars, he still had a lot of money in the bank because he expected a runoff, so he didn't even spend all of his money in, in the primary. Um, he only participated in in one debate, um, and and despite that, in you know in all the pollings, he led he led wire to wire, and so he was locked in. Most people did expect a runoff, even even you know up until yesterday. So it was basically a surprise yesterday, and and I think what happens when you get Voters in their mind, when they get this this air of, of inevitability locked in, they you know then then the election becomes boring to them, and if it becomes boring, they don't they don't participate. You know the the thing about Louisiana voters, Louisiana voters are used to really you know big, uh, large, colorful personalities, interesting people. You know we're the home of you know Huey Long and and Edwin Edwards and really outsized characters, and and when you have sort of a low key race like this and you don't have uh, uh, you know, colorful characters, people get bored and, 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 and they stay home. And then the second issue is we, we don't really have a legitimate opposition party uh, in, in the state of Louisiana right now. The Louisiana Democratic Party has no real structure to it. And so it, it is not it, it is not a get out the vote, doesn't have a get out the vote, get out the vote apparatus. It doesn't have a, uh, um, a candidate uh, recruitment Apparatus, so you don't have Democratic candidates down ballot to help with. Robert, uh, Robert, Robert, hold up, Robert, freeze right there. How in the world does the Louisiana Democratic Party not have a vote, a get out the vote apparatus? Ain't that's what they're there for? Yeah. Well, they don't. They don't have the money. They don't raise the money. Uh, you know. You know. Roland yesterday, and John, and John can speak to this. Is you know. You know as well. I and I'll just say this. You know. You know. Yesterday, um, as as you know, I I, I did. I serve as a as a, a political analyst for WVUE Fox Eight down here in New Orleans, and I did four hours of live television last night. I, I stood on the set and did uh, four hours of continuous analysis. And at the end of the night, you know, the, you know, the anchor asked me closing thoughts. And I said closing thoughts are the, you know, the Louisiana Democratic Party basically um, needs to be, if, if, if we are going to have a legitimate two-party system in the state of Louisiana, then the Louisiana Democratic Party basically should be burned to the ground and basically reconstructed from the ground up with with all new people because up. the people that they have now are simply are, are not doing the job at all job at all john uh, this is where i'm confused here john bill edwards is the governor he's a democrat so typically when you talk about who's over your party it's the person at the top uh that would be governor yeah you have a party chair nationally joe biden is the head of the democratic party okay jamie harrison is the chair but the reality is 
Biden and his team, they're actually calling the shots. Um, what happened in Louisiana is an utter disgrace. I mean, I don't know. I don't, there's no other way uh, to call it. How do you have a sitting governor who's Democrat and the person who is running is Jeff Landry, uh, who is uh, a who is a hardcore Trump MAGA candidate who has an absolutely horrible record, especially when it comes to African-Americans and Democrats literally put up no fight against him. Well, there are a couple of additional pieces to the puzzle that need to be discussed here because those are some very interesting points. We've already discussed the lower black turnout that I saw, not just in early voting, but especially with election day voting. But one thing I saw, not only with my polling, but on election night results is this. Jeff Landry consistently polled at 8% amongst black voters, which for Republicans is pretty impressive. Along comes election day, and when I looked at the precinct data where 70% or more of the registered voters are black, I saw that John Bell Edwards got 91% of that vote in the 2019 primary. In the 2023 primary, which has just concluded, not only did Sean Wilson get about 70% of that vote, but Jeff got 12%. And if you were to restrict your analysis to the 60 less urban parishes, in other words, everything but East Baton Rouge, everything but Caddo, everything but Jefferson, everything but Orleans, Jeff's vote share went up to 16%. In other words, we're talking about more of the rural black constituencies. So I think that those additional data points that I just brought up are things that need to be discussed within the Democratic Party hierarchy. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public, the list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Robert, explain that to me. How does a white Democrat get 91% of the black vote, but a black gubernatorial candidate gets 70? Well, so so uh, Jeff, Jeff Landry had a very well-funded campaign, and in the last few weeks of the campaign, he put out some—he he did some, some ad buys, and he put out some very strict— I mean, some some very some very slick ads where he had uh, 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 black voters, including black one black police officer um, whose son had been killed with in in um, uh, his son had been murdered, um, talk about crime and and crime in the black community and how Jeff Landry doesn't care if you're black or white, he's he's gonna he's gonna fight crime. Um, and so, in fact, in fact, I, I take that back. He actually had two parents whose children had been murdered. Who, you know, black parents that that appeared in several ads for him. So, um, so he 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 had well funded. He did he did get the endorsement of at least uh, one black Democrat in New Orleans, a gentleman named uh, uh, Austin Badon, who is a former three term. Uh, state legislator, state representative. I, I think we can expect Austin to show up in a, in a Jeff Landry, uh, Jeff Landry administration in in some appointed role. So 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 basically, he you know he he did spend money. His his ad people were very good and were very professional, and they did spend money 
putting black faces on television saying, uh, we, you know, we, we, we endorse uh, Jeff Landry. We think he's a good man. We think, again, specifically focusing on the crime issue, which is, which is obviously a hot point in, in urban areas. And, and, you know, those ads worked. I mean, th those ads were designed specifically to peel off segments of the black vote, and, and they worked. I, I think you would have to say they were, they were effective. He got his he got his money's worth out of those ads. But but, but isn't isn't this the same Jeff Landry who wanted to open the juvenile make public the juvenile records uh, of kids thirteen and older in only three parishes in the state and those were the black parishes. It it is, but but honestly, Roland, I don't I don't think that that issue resonated to the extent that you would. You, you know that it should have, or, or or that you would have thought that it would have. So, um, because it, you know, because I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm just because he, I mean, he, I'm, I'm still trying to, I'm still trying to understand. Again, um, look, if I'm on the outside looking at who a person is and their record, and he now gets elected, he now has a super majority in the Louisiana legislature. They can do whatever they want, like in Florida, in Texas, uh, in Georgia, and other places. Now, all of a sudden, the things that he wants to do, they can now do, and they can't be stopped. So folk actually voted for that? Well, folks folks voted for it because they didn't think that their vote was going to make any any difference. So I, I mean, again, uh, you know, again, there there are some black voters that thought that that he was the law and order candidate, and you know, they're scared of crime. And though, even though I I, 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 I would point out that in Louisiana, the governor has very little to do with fighting crime. Crime is fought at the local level by police chiefs and uh, uh, elected sheriffs and, and mayors and elected district attorneys. It's just the way the way our constitution and, and I'm glad and our, that she's worked. But, but, but I'm glad you brought that up, John. Sixty-three yes. sheriffs were on the ballot across Louisiana. All 63 are, are men. 57 out of the 63 are white men. That was one sheriff who runs a horrible jail. It is in a blue county, and the Democrats didn't even have somebody running against him. How can you stand? First of all, how can you have a shot at winning if you don't run? Well, there's also another piece of the puzzle that needs to be discussed here is that same group of sheriffs who endorsed Jeff Landry had endorsed Governor John Bell Edwards before, whose brother, by the way, is the sheriff of Tangipahoe Parish. So in other words, I think you have to look at this more holistically than just the example you have provided. No, 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 no. That's, I'm, I'm, but I'm still raising the critical question because I've said this, and Reverend Barber has said, Reverend William Barber has said this all across the South. The guaranteed way for you never to win is you never run somebody. And so Robert talked about how the party has to be blown up top to bottom. Is that part of the problem in that? Because uh, it's not like you have few Democrats who are registered in Louisiana. You got a significant number. But what is happening in this state where 
they're not running folks uh, in a lot of these positions. And I do, I do these stories all the time. I can't tell you how many times I've had to do stories about somebody being shot or beaten by cops uh, in Louisiana. Uh, the folks, the young folks who were thrown in, uh, who were thrown in Angola when the federal judge ordered them to be released, uh, you know, in a week. I mean, I've done numerous stories. How are Louis, how is the Louisiana Democratic Party not using those things to recruit candidates and to run folks in this state? Because what took place on Saturday is an absolute national embarrassment with the second largest population of African Americans of any state in America. Well, when you talk about the embarrassment, I think there's something else that needs to be discussed as well, and that is there's an implicit assumption that black voters would always be nearly unanimously Democratic. And I see that begun to change in very recent times, specifically since the pandemic started. Donald Trump, for instance, received double the percentage of the black votes he received in 2016. And while that's not yet a statistically large number, when I see data points like that, and Jeff Landry getting 12% and 16% in more rural parishes. Billy Nungesser, our lieutenant governor, got 30% of the black vote. I think the assumption of black voters being automatically wed to the Democratic Party is perhaps one that is changing as we speak. Well, first of all, that is the case, Robert. I broke this thing down uh, because uh, young African Americans are not self-identifying. That's why I didn't make the point about party. I made the point about issues. And so, Robert, from your vantage point, how is the Louisiana Democratic Party not pinpointing those issues that African Americans care about and then not using that to their advantage in elections? Well, the Louisiana Democratic Party doesn't have an issue operation. It doesn't have a uh, as I said before, doesn't have a candidate recruitment operation. It, you know, if if you talk to local candidates on the ground, like let's say Democrats that are running for state representative in, in New Orleans, and you ask them, has the party done anything for you? They would say no. They said that they will tell you flat out, Louisiana De Democratic Party is irrelevant, and it doesn't matter. It it doesn't do anything for them because they don't they don't raise any money for them. I mean, you know, look you know, look at the disparities in the amount of money that they raised for Sean Wilson, let's say, compared to the amount of money that right next door um, uh, the, the, the Mississippi Democratic Party raised for for um, for Brandon Presley. You know, it's, it's not even close. You know, Brandon, they, they you know, they raised millions for for, you know, for Brandon Presley. They raised what, like 50,000 for for uh, for Sean, for Sean Wilson. So, it, you know, it's, um you know, so it, it, I, I mean, it really is the party has has been impotent for some time now. But, it, you know, in, in terms of their ability to get out to to mobilize people and 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 get out the vote but at least they had a messaging operation before at least they 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 could you know they would message on on behalf of the candidates right now i i can tell you the current the current chair of the louisiana democratic party was basically invisible in this last cycle and when i say invisible i mean literally i don't mean figuratively i mean i mean literally nobody nobody knows where she is nobody has seen her she's she's in hiding so, um, you know, so, you know, so that's a problem when, when you don't have a Democratic Party chair who's who's visible, who, who's out, you know, you know, visiting candidates to, you know, to see what they need. It, it's just, you know, it, it's just it's a it's it, it is a it is a structurally um, uh, uh, bankrupt 
physically bankrupt organization that's just going to have to be completely reformed from from top to bottom. I mean, they you know they've they've been at crisis level for some time now, but now they're beyond crisis level. They're they're not they're basically not salvageable at, at this point. They're not salvageable in 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 their current form, and it probably took them failing to get a a a gubernatorial candidate into a runoff for the first time in modern history to to let to let the general public see that john i saw um one story that say in the last uh in this campaign republican national the, the republicans spent about 1.2 million dollars and democrats only spent 28,000 correct you're referring to black outreach or something broader like just general campaign spends um, I was looking. I was looking at in terms of what parties spent. Uh, Robert, did, did you come across that? Uh, I saw several tweets uh, stating that. Did you come across that as well? Yeah, I, I mean, I came across some some tweets that just just basically comparing um, just general spending to the uh, uh, b- between the Sean Wilson campaign in Louisiana and the Brandon Presley campaign in Mississippi. I mean, I know, I'm not sure the exact amounts. I thought it was around 50,000, but it's in, it's in the tens of thousands as, as, as opposed, and, and again, we're talking about Democratic Party spending. We're not, we're not talking about money that Sean Wilson has raised himself. He raised a lot more than that. But as far as right. the assistance that he got from the Democratic Party, it was like in the tens of thousands, whereas Brandon Presley in Mississippi is literally getting, getting millions of dollars in help from, from, the, from the Mississippi Democratic Party, which I'm assuming they're raising from out of state and bringing into the, the state. But the Louisiana Democratic Party doesn't, doesn't even have any apparatus like that where they can where they where where they ask for money from the from the DNC or they they have some you know dark money groups outside the state that raise money for them they don't they don't right. have any similar apparatus hey john i got a kick out of um the one story uh, how uh the governor and other democrats were targeting a progressive democrat in new orleans area for defeat and uh, someone said, wow, only Louisiana Democrats could spend more money and time trying to defeat one of their own than the opposing party. Explain that. For and I'll admit to you that was, story. that was something, Roland, that gen- genuinely puzzled me because the district that you're referring to, which, by the way, is down the road from where Dr. Collins' school is, but the district we're referring to is a solidly progressive district, and Mandy Landry, who is the incumbent state representative, fits it like a glove. So the thing which I will admit to you I don't understand the rationale for is if she fits her district like a glove, why would the governor spend or should I say divert resources to getting her defeated when he should have been keeping his eye on the ball and helping Sean Wilson? And, and by the way, and I, and a challenger the challenger to— She got 66 percent of the vote. Correct. And my polls showed her she was always solidly in the lead. So it is a question of misplaced priorities that I genuinely don't understand, especially since there were allegations about the challenger who Governor Edwards endorsed had a history of voting in a Republican primary before. So, you know, I think we're talking about far broader issues than just Sean Wilson. We're talking about a misplacement of <laughs> focus and priorities. Uh, yeah. And, and, yeah. And, oh, All right. Last couple of questions from. Okay, I I just say just 
to add on to what John was saying. Yeah. So not 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 only did did uh, uh, the challenger have the endorsement of the governor, she had the endorsement of uh, Congressman Troy Carter. She had the endorsement of uh, uh, former U.S. Senator Mary Landrieu. She basically had the endorsement of every major uh, uh, Democratic organization, every black uh, um, elected official in the city of New Orleans. And the excuse we were told is because Mandy Landry was not a team player with the Democratic Party. Um, ba basically, she got mad at, because she ran for, for state Senate um, in a special election last year, uh, you know, against another Democrat. She didn't win. So temporarily, she switched her voter registration to independent. Now, she did switch back to Democrat a few, uh, you know, a few weeks later um, or, or a, a few months later. But the Democratic Party said that they were going to punish her because she wasn't a team player and she wasn't a real Democrat. So they were going to run a, a real Democrat against her. But but just the fact that she she crushed them. Now here's the Democratic Party organization. They said they said, okay, Mandy, we're gonna we're gonna punish you because because you're an independent and you're too progressive and you don't get along with the establishment Democrats. So we're throwing the you know the you know the Democratic we're throwing the Democratic establishment against you. Mandy said no, it's not gonna go down like that. And and she literally she she crushed them. She crushed them and and, and destroyed them and sent them sent them away. So that just shows you how weak the Louisiana Democratic Party establishment is. They can't punish anybody. Ma Mandy, she embarrassed them. She literally, she literally embarrassed them. Yeah, you got to feel really stupid if you endorse somebody and, and that person got beat with 66% of the vote uh, with all of that firepower. And that's, yeah, that shows um, they're real impotent. All right, last couple of questions for you, John. I want to start with you. Uh, we saw at the last election, Florida Democrats just blew it up. Nikki Freed now is running the statewide party. Uh, what are you hearing in Louisiana? Are people ticked off, mad, upset, or is there a collective shrug like, oh, well, ain't nothing we can do. Let's just keep the same loser uh, who blew this thing this time. Well, I do think that given that there is increasing factionalism within the Louisiana Democratic Party between those who are primarily in New Orleans and have more of a progressive bent versus the historical base of the Louisiana Democratic Party in rural areas, that kind of factionalism is something that the current party chair has to deal with. But given the Democrats' performance in Saturday night's election, combined with the fact that you had the party apparatus going against a progressive incumbent, I see the potential for there to be some, let's just politely say, turmoil and unrest when party elections come soon. Um, Robert, uh, are folks looking uh, to plant grenades in this party and just blow it all up in the state? Because this has to be embarrassing. And if you are a member of Congress or you are a representative or, or I mean, you're a state representative, state senator uh, or whatever, you should be just grossly offended by what took place. I mean, I get losing, but they lost like they would have, what's that, what's that, what's that team that played IMG, the football that wasn't even a real high school and they got blown out? That's what it looked like for Louisiana Democrats on Saturday. Well, well, I can tell oh, you who right. was, that was Bishop Sycamore. That was Bishop Sycamore. They weren't even a real team, a real school. Yeah, well, well, I can tell you who's who's really fired up. The, the progressive wing of the party, the people that supported uh, Mandy Landry, um, you know, they're, they're, they're fired up right now. 
And uh, the establishment folks are sort of in hiding right now because they know that they're going to get the blame uh, for the for, for, for the loss yesterday. So they really haven't, you know, come come out with any statements. They haven't really said anything, basically because they know folks are going to be, be coming for them. People, they know they know folks are going to be coming for their heads, basically. So, um, yeah, so I would I would agree with John. And in the next in the next round of elections for a Democratic State Central Committee um, and all the various parish executive committees, I, I, I think you will you will see a slew of progressives running against uh, the more moderate establishment Democrats. And, and I think you're you're going to you're going to see some some knockdown drag out races and, and we're going to we're going to have a struggle for the soul of the party. And people people are going to have to just have to make a decision. Is is the party going to going to just, you know, settle for its position as 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 an irrelevant party and basically try and try and, you know, form coalitions uh, with the Republicans in, in the state legislature? That's what that's what I expect them to do in, in the short term. I expect. Uh, the the old line groups like the Legislative Black Caucus to form as a block, and what what they normally do is that like for example there'll be a Speaker of the House election, there'll be a conservative candidate and a more moderate candidate, and they'll try and cut deals with the more moderate candidate and swing their block behind the more moderate candidate, and in return ask for some committee chairmanships or 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 some other uh, considerations. That's what they're going to do in the short term. But but in the long term, yeah, I think I think the progressives are coming for everybody. I think the progressives are coming for everybody's head. All right. Well, John and Robert, uh, I've been loving the tweets that y'all have been posting, giving people uh, a real uh, important insight to what's been happening there uh, in Louisiana. Uh, and look, there are there again. What happens is when you don't show up. Now Republicans have a supermajority. They can do whatever they want. They control the House, the Senate, the governor's mansion. Uh, again, that's power. And again, in a state that is the second largest concentration of African-Americans uh, in the country, uh, that's problematic. And we see uh, how Mississippi has gone. Uh, and then we look at what's happening all across the South in Texas and Florida and Tennessee uh, and Georgia. Uh, and so uh, I think a lot of folks over the next four years are going to be saying, we better wake up and pay attention uh, and make some changes or this thing could get uh, even worse. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Gentlemen, thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, then. Um, so what y'all make of, uh, of that conversation? Wow, wasn't it? So this is, so the, so the reason why I talked about, when I talked about uh, earlier, um, when I was talking about going directly to those precincts, when I was talking about issues, um, I've, I have never self-identified with the party. So for me, I look at issues. Uh, I look at who's running and what they have to say. But the other thing that I think that we have to do, and this is critically important uh, for for all of us, and look, I'll be 55 in November, uh, and when I begin to look at 
um, the future. Uh, that decision, the political decisions that we are making really have to be made, not necessarily for us, but for nieces, nephews, children, and grandchildren. And, and, and I lay this out in my book, White Fear, How the Browning of America is Making White Folks Lose Their Minds. Uh, what we are seeing right now across this country, we are seeing the locking in of hard right positions when it comes to the Supreme Court, when it comes to the federal bench. Uh, and I was having this conversation with a few friends, and I was on a panel at Congressional Black Caucus Foundation, ALC, uh, and Ellie Mister was on the panel, and, and Ellie is, is a hard charger, and he was like, he said, man, I just, you know, we, we just lost it for the next 50 years. I said, ah, actually, Ellie, you didn't. He's like, what do you mean? I said, well, he's a perfect example. He said, there are about 930 federal judges in this country. And I said... Obama got blocked by more than 100. Trump appointed more, more, more than 200. I said, I got it. So Biden and Harris have appointed more than 100 judges. I said, let's say they, see, they get, they get reelected and they control the Senate. They're going to be able to appoint another 200 plus judges. That's 300. I said, if Democrats win in 2028, let's say you appoint another 200 judges. You're now at 500. You will now have appointed half of all federal judges in the country. I said, so you're focused on, well, we lost because you've got six conservatives in the Supreme Court versus three liberals. I said, but if you focus on the numbers, you win the next two elections, you will basically will have appointed more than half of all federal judges. And so when I look at how I look at elections, I look at them totally different than some other different people. I look at what's happening in this state. One, your governor can only serve one term. So it's not like it's two or three terms. In Texas, we don't have term limits. Rick Pierre was there for 16 years. Uh, and Abbott might be there for the next 20 years, God forbid. Um, and so when we talk about how do we look at our issues, we have to be defining them, I believe, in a totally different way. I go, so the discussion that you heard there was this party apparatus and how it's non-extinct. Uh, but I was just Texas the folks today. I'm not concerned about a party apparatus. I am specifically saying, what is, what is the black electoral apparatus in this state? Meaning, how are groups aligning? How are they raising funds? If we're waiting for a party apparatus to mobilize and organize, that is the dumbest thing in the world. Our institutions have to be doing that. If anybody read Dr. King's book, uh, Where Do We Go From Here, Chaos or Community, this is literally what he said in the book. He said there are four institutions that are positioned to liberate black America. He said the Negro church, the Negro press, Negro fraternities and sororities, and Negro professional and business organizations. He said neither one of them have fully committed themselves to, to the liberation of black America. And he lays out problems there. And so if we're talking about how do we begin to change things, first thing, if you're talking about economically in, in this state, where are our black business organizations? Where are chambers of commerce? Where are groups like that advancing that particular issue? Where do you have black-owned media? Where do you have uh, your black education groups? If we're talking about uh, really changing things and really understanding power, then we have to understand that we actually, you actually have numbers here. This is not like in some places where you have five, six, eight percent. Twenty percent African American voting bloc in this state is a large number if properly weaponized. 
But the mistake is when we're operating in our silos and then we're not organizing and mobilizing. And so, again, how I look at elections, if you're talking about uh, Lacey's district, okay, he says it's a Republican district. Got it. But going in and say parsing the numbers, okay, how red is it? Or do you have moderates? How do you hit those numbers? Uh, Ron Kirk was the mayor of Dallas. He always told me, he said, Roland, he said, I count votes. He's in, uh, and I, I got a kick out of that because I've served on various boards and we've had battles. I was in one meeting one time and they were going back and forth. They were like, Roland, why are you reading the book? I was like, they can argue all they want to. I got 12 of the 15 votes. I ain't about to argue. I said, I got the numbers. And that's really what it boils down to. And so everybody who's sitting here, leaving here, and I want to put this in proper context so you can understand how numbers work. So when we talk about the Montgomery bus boycott uh, that took place and launched December 1st, 1955, there are literally more people who are sitting in this church right now than were sitting in the basement in Montgomery in 1955. Some of y'all are like, did he just say that? Yeah, if you look around, there are more people who are sitting. So when Dr. King was chosen to lead the MIA, more people. That thing was started uh, at the kitchen table by two folks. I, I talked to Fred Gray, uh, and it was him and Joanne. Two people came, came forward with that. Here's the other piece. The Montgomery bus boycott, we know we went 382 days. It was only designed to be a one-day boycott. After 50,000 black people didn't get on the buses on one day, they said, let's extend it five days. After that, they said, let's keep it going. So what I'm saying is what they did was they established an agenda brought it to the people, then said, this is what we're going to do. The people agreed. Then they said, well, let's go five days. Then they put together an action. The, the first Uber was not created in San Francisco. It was started in Montgomery. Because when they did not walk, they literally used, they used funeral home, cars, hearses, and individuals who drove folks around. They created a whole transportation system uh, there uh, in Montgomery. So, what, so that was all based upon two most fundamental things, mobilization and organization. And so if we're talking about how do you attain power, if the pathway politically is through how Virginia Democrats, then it's, okay, got it. What's the number? How many do we need to take power? Which means that what, three or four? What is it? Four? It's three. So you pick up three, you control the house. You flip three seats, now all of a sudden you have a black speaker of the house. Now all of a sudden those things change until the next election. And so that's how we have to be thinking. And so every person, if you're a member of an organization, uh, let's see, I see Alphas here. Uh, let's see here. Any Masons here? Masons. All right. Easter Star here. Let's see. Any links in here? Okay. Any, uh, let's see. Any church ministry leaders in here? All right. So nearly all of us are involved in some type of organization one way or another. You now have to start asking your organizations what we're doing. Because, see, the one thing that I despise about many of our organizations is we are so preoccupied with our internal business that we have no time for external business. I, 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 look, I, I, I just want you all to understand, I, 
I, I, I, I'm not one who says stuff in public just to be saying it. Uh, look, I'm a, I'm a member of uh, Boulay chapter, and I, I, in meetings, I'm like, yo, I can't talk about the Christmas party again. <laughs> like, I can't discuss the Christmas party every month. I said, y'all, I can't. I said, I'm not coming to a meeting that the same conversation. Uh, I said, I ain't coming to the Alpha meeting, and we're going to administer the meeting. I ain't doing all this sort of stuff. The reason I'm saying all of that is we have to be challenging our organizations. What are we doing? Now, some of our organizations are risk-averse, so we're like, we don't want to lose our 501c3 status. Y'all, the law is the law. You cannot endorse as an organization. It does not mean you cannot organize and mobilize around a set of issues. That's what it actually means. And so a lot of us are running around scared and unwilling to actually challenge even our organizational leaders. What we are facing is real. You heard Biden talk about in the last campaign, we're fighting for the soul of America. I travel this country and I am not, this is not hyperbole. We are facing an existential threat to democracy in this country. Literally, a previous generation fought for us to even be where we are now. The question that every person here has to be asked, 50 years from now, will they be talking about the previous generation fighting or this one? Because if this generation allows this stuff to continue, they gonna blame us in the future. And I can tell you right now, I ain't trying to have nobody sully my name saying when he had an opportunity to do something, he didn't do it. And so we have this opportunity, and so every person should be committing themselves. If you've already voted, you should be saying, I'm going to go make sure 10 to 20 other people vote, even though I have to drive them to the polls. And so now it's up to us to change the outcomes uh, of this election and to change the, change the future direction of, this, of the city, of the county, of the state, and of this country. It can happen if folks of conscience actually do it. Glad to have everybody come out. I was glad to see all of you here. Uh, thank you so very much uh, for my frat brother and my Texas A&M Aggie, Don Scott. Appreciate it. Uh, we will be in Petersburg, Virginia next Monday for our fourth town hall. Then we're going to Richmond uh, after that. And so we're going to keep this going. Uh, keep sharing this information on social media, letting folks know, because, again, uh, this is critically important. And the last point is this here, and I love people, and I love it when my, fo my folks on the right say, we need to get government out of our lives. Y'all, this is real simple. That's the dumbest thing in the world. Because government is a part of every aspect of our life. The moment you are born, you get a birth certificate. That's a government document. When you get some shots to go to school, that's a government document. When you graduate, now you got to take a state-mandated test uh, to graduate. Uh, when you get married, that's a government document. When you get your driver's license, the government document. If you get divorced, that's a government document. And then when you die, that's a government document called a death certificate. So I don't. When people tell me that stuff, I'm like, you must be out of your mind. It governs every facet of our lives. Let us now control that very government by using our power appropriately. Thanks so much, folks. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Hold!
Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council.